Hi there and welcome to Inside Rugby League, the podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Richard Byram and joining me on the line again this week is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter's the Yorkshire Evening Post Chief Rugby League Writer. This week there's been quite a bit going on off the field, Peter, regarding the game coming back and the television contract and so on. Yeah, it's um, it's been a, a lively-ish week considering we're um, approaching four months without any rugby. It's going to get livelier as, as well, I think. The big news is that there's a meeting, a Super League board meeting on Friday at which we're told a decision will be made on when Super League restarts and in what format. In other words, how many games are going to be played um, and that sort of thing. So that's that's exciting. Once that's announced, there will really will be light at the end of the tunnel. We're recording this a couple of days before the meeting, but from what people are saying, it seems like the, the most likely option is a, a start, as we've mentioned before, in August. August 16th is being looked at for Super League Round 8, and the teams with games in hand will, will play those over the the two preceding weekends. Um, in terms of how many matches, that, that's not known yet, but it's looking like maybe 22 league rounds, which would mean no Magic Weekend and no loop fixtures. Um, and the, the games that have already been played would count towards that. So teams are looking at maybe 15-ish games to, to fit in before a grand final, probably in November. Obviously, that, that could change when the meeting takes place, but that seemed to be the general source of uh, gist of what's going on. And um, on Thursday, Championship and League One are having a meeting where they're going to discuss their situation. So there is some light at the end of the tunnel. It's given everybody something to aim for. Obviously, that will ramp up a little bit after this weekend when we actually get a date. But it's this frustrating layoff is coming to an end, fortunately. I think that's going to cheer everybody in the sport up. But if anyone thinks that the, the crisis is over, that everything's going to be rosy after that, I think they're mistaken. There's a lot of hard work lies ahead and, and some serious problems for clubs financially, I think. Obviously... Action's been taken by the RFL and by Super League. We had the £16 million loan from the government a couple of months ago. Everybody knows about that. And this week there was a negotiation with Sky, which has led to clubs in Super League all receiving or being guaranteed they'll receive this year's money as expected. But next year there'll be a rebate. Um, for the games that Sky have missed this year. Obviously, there's been no live Super League on Sky since March. So they're due some money, some money back for that. Um, and that's going to come out of next year's allocation. It's going to be a, a sizable sum. The figure of £280,000 has been mentioned, and I understand that that's, that's in the right sort of area. So that's going to mean a hefty cut to budgets next year. So um, a lot of problems still to be overcome. Certainly is. Um, sorry, Peter, is that 280,000 per club? Or, or per club, per club yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, per club. Which, if you, if you look at back uh, a month or so to when clubs were talking about the salary cap, 
some clubs wanted it increased from 2.1 million. Some clubs wanted it uh, reduced to about 1.8 million. So the figures the figures add up. The difference between 1.8 million and um, 2.1 million is is roughly what it seems um, Sky are going to uh, deduct from each club's handout next year. So it's inevitable that for most clubs there's going to be budget cuts. The ones that should be okay are the ones with a, a rich backer who can dip his or her hand in the pocket and, and say, hey, here you go, this money will tide you over. I think clubs without that have got some serious thinking to do, but they're not going to be able to spend anything like the salary cap next year. No, and it's going to be very hard to recoup that money if they can't get people into the grounds. I know we've spoken on here before about the fact that we thought that the game would come back in August, so there may, may be an eight-week period without crowds, and then hopefully from, say, October, crowds would be let back in, um, which obviously would help with the teams' revenue for this year. And I know today, Tuesday, the government have relaxed again some of the social distancing rules and that, which obviously gives hope to sport and bigger events in general if those thing, uh, restrictions keep getting rolled back as time goes on. But even so, um, you know, it's, it's eight, at least eight weeks without crowds, isn't it? And as we've again mentioned many times, that's a crucial lifeline for all our clubs. Even the richest Super League clubs need people coming through the turnstiles, don't they? And, um, you know, a truncated season this time and then next time uh, playing the, the right number of games but for less money. So I think you did an interview with Gary Hetherington yesterday, didn't you, Gary? Warren? there'd be tough times ahead. Um, I know Neil Hudgel of Hull KR, he was saying that he thought that the clubs had acted prematurely in accepting this Sky deal, but I don't really see what other choice they had myself. Um, you know, that's the kind of offer that's on the table now and really it's about getting getting through this period and then hopefully next year having a look again and then maybe being in a position to negotiate a new deal with Sky for the season after that, which may help them get some of that money back ultimately. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, and Sky technically could have said, well, we want the money this year, the rebate this year, we're, we're going to deduct it from, from what we owe you for, for 2020. But obviously that's not going to do anybody any good really if, if clubs have no money um, Sky can't can't get blood from a stone next year Sky will, will make the money back and and the deal will help ensure all the clubs get through this year but the problem with the solutions that are coming up the loan in this Sky arrangement is that they're just moving the problem further down the track yeah really um, the money's going to have to be, be paid to Sky uh, paid back to the government at some point and clubs are going to get less money from Sky next next year so budgets are going to have to be cut and, and some of them will be will will be struggling with £280,000 less income if that's the right figure. So there are certainly real concerns so far. Once they get playing then that that will obviously help them generate um, generate revenue um, through sponsorship and that sort of thing but as you mentioned earlier, there are other costs to pay for as well. Some sort of rebate will have to be offered to season ticket holders and corporates yes. and advertisers and sponsors for this year who've paid up front for 14 games. 
and aren't going to get that. So that's another cost. Um, there's concern about the cost of, of testing, coronavirus testing for players and staff, which is which is considerable per week. Um, so it, it is worrying worrying times, I think. But the good news is that so far we've got 12 Super League clubs and it looks like we're still going to have them at the end of this season. And it looks like we're going to get some rugby underway before too long. So that's that's a positive. But um, as I say, if anyone thinks the crisis is over, it, it's not, not by a long chalk. No, um, one suggestion I read in one of the weekend papers was that the, the cost of um, the testing and the cleaning of the clubs after... Um, you know, or each week, will be seven thousand, seven and a half thousand pounds, um, which again then multiplied by each club over a period of time, is another lot of money to find out of nowhere on top of the money that they've already lost and will be losing in the future, and that just got me thinking personally. And again, it, I don't know whether this is right or not, but I wondered if with this loan that the government have offered, whether the RFL could maybe act as some kind of facilitator there where they took out the loan and then spread it through the clubs or some of the loan should I say specifically for the the covering of the loss of the sky money and the covering of the testing and taking players off furlough to get the game going again now maybe that's a bit idealistically idealistic from my point of view but I just thought you know maybe that would be one way around it where all the clubs got the same money uh, to meet the same costs uh, again, it would be pushing it further down the line, but there doesn't really seem to be uh, much else we can do at the moment, but try and get through sort of week to week, month to month, and worry about next year and the year after when they happen. Um, maybe the terms of the loan mean that only individual clubs can borrow the money because they have to, in effect, underwrite the amount that they're lose, uh, borrowing, and it will be them who lose out if they don't pay it back. Um, well, the terms of the loan haven't been disclosed as far as I'm aware. We don't know when it has to be paid back, what the interest on it is, etc. But it is being administered by the RFL. Clubs have to apply to the RFL. Ah, right. Okay. So for the slice of the money, as far as I understand it, the RFL will decide who gets how much. Not all clubs are going to apply for it. Some, some are worried for the reasons you've mentioned. They'll have to pay it back at some stage. Leads have confirmed that they're going to apply yes. for it. Um, and it, it certainly it's going to help, but as we keep saying, it has to be paid back. So at some stage, clubs are going to have to, to find the money, and we don't know what the, the interest rate's going to be or anything like that. It's So it's a short-term fix, but, but not a long-term one really, which is, again, a concern. Rugby League's biggest problem is a lack of money. The sport needs more yes. money. We've got to find ways of bringing more cash into the game. Um, that's the only way the sport's going to continue and, and thrive, really. But obviously, in the current financial climate, that's that's very difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's it was interesting there. You were saying about the Championship and League One clubs and, you know, they have a decision to make this week and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they decided you know, to give up on this season. Again, it causes problems because some of the clubs obviously have invested to try and get into Super League. Um, 
but again, there's been no sort of confirmation yet, even whether there'll be relegation from Super League. I suppose they're waiting to see who blinks first, whether the Championship call their season off, or whether the Super League say, well, we're starting that late, and because it's not a true season in terms of the number of games we plan to play, we're not going to relegate anyone. Uh, so that probably lead to more rows down the line as well. But again, I just can't see without people coming through the door, they just can't possibly make it pay, you know, without bar money and food money and ticket money, you know, that and the raffles or the golden numbers or whatever, all those little things that add up to keep a championship or league one club on the field each week, you know, I just can't see how they can do it. I think that's a, a very fair assessment. Uh, the, some some championship clubs want to play on, some don't. The clubs that have invested heavily in a chasing promotion obviously do want the season to continue if there is promotion. The ones that haven't any realistic hope of, of going up obviously don't. So it'll be very interesting to see what the um, finals answer on um, answer on that is. It's a tough one that, as you say, I can't see the point of there the being a championship season or league one for that matter if there is no promotion. No. Certainly, I can't see there being any relegation from Super League. And whether they'll promote a team or not, it's an option. I'm not sure it's the right thing to do, but it's certainly an option. If You see, in Super League, there's going to be clubs... Having to cut the budget, maybe reduce the size of the squads next year, as we've mentioned. And I, I don't think they're going to be too keen on relegation taking place in 2021 either. So whether they the outcome of that is they say, well, we'll promote a team from the Championship this year and we'll promote a team from the Championship next year and we'll run with a 14-team Super League. Yes. I don't know. That That is obviously, as I said, I'm not sure that's the right thing to do. I don't know if... We've got the, the enough talent around to fill fourteen clubs, but it, it would certainly be an answer to that um, to that question. Plus, there's the, the benefit that then you could get rid of the loop the loop fixtures, the extra loop fixtures. Um, so it'll be it will be interesting to see how um, how that's resolved. But as you say it's going to be very difficult for the championship to be sustainable for most clubs without paying crowds admitted through the gate. That said, in France, which is a sort of a month ahead of of this country, it seems to be anyway in in its response to coronavirus and the way things are going, they're allowing crowds of up to 5,000 into stadiums from August. So if you said to championship clubs, you can have up to 5,000 people in your ground per match, then that would quite comfortably cover yes. virtually all of them. So that would sort of eliminate the problem, but we'll have to wait and uh, wait and see on that one. Yeah, I think uh, reading a story yesterday by our colleague Dave Craven from our sister paper, The Yorkshire Post, and uh, he'd been speaking to Adam Pearson at Hull, and I think we've mentioned before Adam Pearson's eagerness to get crowds back into the ground and his belief, obviously, a large ground like the KC, you could maybe get 5,000 people in uh, socially distanced. And particularly, again, with the the uh, figure being reduced today, I think from two metres to one, and the fact that people can mix to a degree with 
people not from their own house or their own families now. Uh, so as you say, that that is a good point that I hadn't thought of before. You know, the the five thousand one doesn't seem much to a, a Super League club or a, or a Premier League football club, for example, but for a Championship club who may get fifteen hundred to two thousand through the gate, but get that number every single week, could at least budget then for some kind of income for the rest of this year uh, and going on into next. Um, yeah. Sorry, interestingly, I just I just had a flick through that article that I was mentioning regarding the the testing costs, and um, one club had said that 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 if it went on for four to six months, that cost could cost them nearly another hundred and ninety five thousand, on top of the two hundred and eighty they're going to lose from Sky. So, you know, it's a heck of a bill to find, isn't it? Especially with the losses they've already incurred through not playing at all. Yeah, um, yeah. £5,000 £5, pounds is the figure I've heard for testing. Yeah. But I don't think that includes sort of deep cleaning the, the ground and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, just looking at average attendances for um, for 2020, none of the current teams outside Super League um, average 5,000. The highest was Bradford Bulls, 4,409. Um, yeah. So every club in the championship would would be okay based on on last year's figures. In terms, obviously, same same applies for League One. There's only two League One clubs last year: Workington and Whitehaven, who averaged more than a thousand. Yeah. In Super League. Wakefield averaged five and a half last year. Five four six eight. Right. Huddersfield five two two six, and Salford. And London, who obviously were relegated, both averaged less than five. Salford was three, seven, four, six, and London was 2014. So, you know, most most clubs, it wouldn't suit. A couple of clubs, it would. Some some clubs, and Castleford's average last year was 7,253. But it would, I think, it, the nature of the jungle, it would be difficult, wouldn't it? To yeah. Get, 5,000 people in there socially distanced. But, as you say, Hull could probably do it. I think Leeds could, maybe maybe Saints and, and Wigan. But it it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, they're going to want to be fair to all, all clubs, really, aren't they? Another fly in the ointment, Catalan Dragons. They, as of August, will be able to play home games in front of a crowd. But if other clubs can't, then what do you do about that? Are they yeah. are they going to say, well, you still have to come over here and spend a month in, in England playing games behind closed doors? Or are they going to say to Catalan, well, yeah, you can play play home matches in, um, in Perpignan. And if clubs go to Perpignan, will they have to uh, quarantine for a week or two weeks when they get back? Come back, yeah. So that's... that's Yet another um, extra thing to to think about. It's all very, it's all very complicated. Well, uh, well, going on from that, wouldn't Toronto now? But they would be in a position now to host home games, would they? If under normal circumstances, because I know at the start of each season they play their first few away because of the weather over there in Canada, but then obviously make it up later in the season with more home games and teams going out there. So I'd assume by July now. All things being equal, Toronto would be able to host home games too. I'm not quite sure what their restrictions are at the moment in Canada on 
large crowds. But again, another team that may be in a position sometime soon to start hosting games again. But again, can can teams go over there? I would have to go over two weeks before. You know, it just seems another fly in the ointment, as you say. I can't see. I can't see Toronto staging home games this year. I was talking to a senior official at the club the other week, and he was very pessimistic about about the chances of there being any rugby league in Canada this year. Right. Um, obviously, the situation changes all the time, though, so so we don't know for sure. But I think Toronto are more likely to to play all their games in this country. Um, which is another reason why they're, they're bottom of the table, aren't they? They're likely to, to finish in the relegation slot. I think that's another reason why there won't be relegation this year. Yeah, I think, well, you touched on last week the, the, the very fact of the signings that they were making or the players that they were looking at um, weren't the sort of players who, who they'd be looking at. If, you know, if, Even if they did go down, you know, it would be a significant outlay for them, wouldn't it? The, the Leeds trio, um, Stevie Ward and... Um, well, Callum Watkins obviously already there and possibly Ryan Hall too. Um, the, the other thing about the crowds that just came to me while you were speaking, Peter, I, I suppose they would look to prioritise season ticket holders getting in first and then take it from there with on-day sales. Um, but I, I'd imagine some of the larger clubs, you know, probably fill almost, I would say, Leeds would there. I don't know how many season ticket holders the, the bigger clubs have, but that would take up a decent proportion of the 5,000, I'm sure. Well, yeah, Leeds, Leeds have more than 5,000 yeah. season ticket holders. Several Super League clubs do. I think that's that's what they expect to, to happen, I think, is that priority will be given to season ticket holders and then it will be a case of wait and see on whether whether there can be an allocation for for people through the turnstiles. But yeah, until... And it, it, this is all things that can't really be decided until the full fixture list is published, um, and we know exactly what's what's happening going um, going forward. And, and so the government advice seems to change quite regularly. So, so who knows really yeah. what's going to happen? I mean, obviously, you know, shops have all shops have all spent money on on. Um, Two meters, keeping people two meters apart. They've been open for a week, and, and are now told it's going to be one meter. Yeah. So things do things do change quite rapidly, and I'm sure the same applies to uh, applies to sport. It's a, a moving feast, but as I keep saying, the the big thing is we are going to get some rugby back. Yeah. Within in the sort of the the foreseeable future, which at times hasn't hasn't always seemed nailed on. No, and I think one other positive that we can draw as well from sport in general, of of football in particular, that that's come back behind closed doors, and the players are still getting tested, and it, there is a minuscule number failing the test, which is is a good sign for sport in general. That you know whatever procedures and protocols football have put in, and you would assume that rugby and others will follow those. Um, obviously, with the adjustments we've talked about with with regard to the scrums and and other matters on the field so it looks good that you know the virus is being you know these what do they call them something bubbles bio bubble or something so <laughs> i can't remember think off the top of my head but they're obviously working so that's another positive you know and obviously next week 
when these two meetings are being held by the Championship and League One clubs and the Super League clubs, we'll have a better idea and we'll be able to chat about them again then. Yeah, yeah, uh, in, in further details. I think that's the key. The key thing we are going to get some sort of um, some more clarity on Thursday and Friday, and that's something to look to look forward to. Everybody will be able to start planning with a little bit more, yeah, um, more certainty. It, it's going to be some um, players and some football directors and coaches and people like that are going to have some big decisions to make over the next few weeks. I think I was speaking um, the other day to Danny Kermand at Wakefield yes. for a piece in the Evening Post, which you may have seen. Yep. Um, he signed a one-year deal last autumn to, to be a player and assistant coach with the reserves. Unfortunately, the reserves competition's been cancelled for this year and it, it looks like it probably won't happen next year. And he's, he's weighing up his options um, as to what he's going to do next season. Um, he's obviously coming towards the end of his career in his mid-30s now, but been a fantastic servant for Wakefield. He's saying that he's thinking about a, a different path in life now. I know he's done some work experience as a um, estate agent, and he's talking about maybe playing on, um, on a part-time basis next year. It'd be a very good signing for... Uh, for some um, second-tier club, somebody in the championship, I wonder whether Featherstone though, yeah. in his career would be interested. I was actually looking um, looking at the Featherstone team from 2007 when they won promotion to what is now the championship through a, a promotion decider at Headingley. And um, Kermo played on the wing yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that day. There's not too many players of followers. No career path in terms of um, positions but been a great servant for, for Wakefield and I hope that he can um, he work, something can work out well for him for um, for next year whether that's playing on at, at Wakefield or, or going part time somewhere else but um, a good guy is Kermo and I wish him all the best Yeah I was just smiling there as, as you mentioned that uh, about Danny playing on the wing because I read your piece obviously and it made me smile at the time because the number of times on this program recently we've discussed the versatility of players um, and somebody but even by that standard somebody shifting from the wing to kind of the front or second row is still fairly unheard of uh, but certainly echo everything you'd say about Danny again we've spoken in recent weeks about Jason Dimitri and what a great influence he was on the club at the turn of the century, and I think Danny is probably this this decade's equivalent of JD in terms of his service to Wakefield. Uh, the number of times he's put his body on the line for the club. Um, it's just a shame that they haven't been a bit more successful on the field. But you know, Danny's certainly played his part, and you'd, as you say, Featherstone it would be the one club that would come straight to mind for me if you were looking for a decent player on a part-time basis um, that could maybe just get you over the line and promoted if, if, of course, that's a possibility next season. But certainly wish Danny all, all the best as well. I, I'm quite sure he would have made a great job as the assistant coach of the seconds and maybe that's a, a possibility that might still be open for him even if he doesn't actually play for Wakefield anymore. He may still be able to lend his experience behind the scenes. Uh, if that's possible with his other commitments going forward. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
And just one other guy, uh, Pete, another old stalwart I saw was coming home this week, not from our area, but James Graham, another great servant of, of rugby league who made his name at St. Helens and then went over to Australia and had a brilliant career over there as well. And it seems he's coming back to finish his career at St. Helens. Um, another great player of the last decade or so and uh, an international too. Somebody that, you know, enjoyed watching down the years. And it's nice probably just to round his career. I did read somewhere that he may be going back to Australia for some kind of career in the media. I don't know if that's right or not. But uh, again, somebody coming towards the end of his career and looking to do other things. Yeah, it makes sense. Obviously, the swap with um, Luke Thompson going over over to Australia, James Graham coming back to replace him. I think from from his performances this year, maybe he's, he's getting... He's, Perhaps his, his best days are behind him, but yeah. certainly he's been a, a an excellent player for um, for more than a decade. Um, one of the, the English players that's gone over to the NRL and, and gone toe to toe with him and um, enhanced his and the British game's reputation. So uh, yeah, all the best to him. Yes, indeed. Okay then, Peter. I think that'll be all for this week. Sorry if anybody heard Alexa jump in there. I don't know. What we said to trigger her, but she, 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 she said something. So anyway, one of the things, unseen things of recording live. Um, but thanks again anyway, Peter, for your comments. And as we always say each week, uh, you can get the very latest Rugby League news from Peter's Twitter handle at Peter Smith YEP or my own at Richard Byron YEP or the Evening Post website www.yorkshireeveningpost.co.uk for the very latest news on the coronavirus and rugby league and sport in general. As we said during the show, obviously Peter will be keeping a keen eye on the meetings later this week for the Championship and Division 1 clubs and also for the Super League meeting on Friday. So we'll be back next week, I would hope, to chat all about those. So again, for now, we'll say goodbye and thanks again to Peter and we'll see you soon.